So welcome back, everyone. And uh, for some, good morning. For some, uh, good afternoon. Uh, for some, good evening. Or bonsoir. Or guten Abend. So welcome, everyone. So I want to continue today with the theme that I've been exploring, I think, for the four previous sessions that I've been here. I've called this uh, theme, Doing and Not Doing in Meditation and Daily Life. And I had thought that um, last time would be the last one. I thought that... Uh, the time before that would be the last one, but it still has energy very much as a theme. So what I want to do today is to fairly briefly review uh, what we've explored so far, naming some of that, because a lot of these are really ongoing practices, and then take us a little bit further. And as I did last time, I'd like to lead a guided meditation, which will get, give us some experiential sense of some of the uh, deeper territory. That's, that's my intention today. And for those who haven't heard all of the other sessions, they are available on uh, the website uh, dharmaseed.org. And I generally give pretty full descriptions, so you can have a sense of what's being covered. And last time the result, there were also two guided meditations. Great. So let me invite you also, if, you, if you're okay to do this, to turn your video on. It's nice for me to be able to uh, see people, if you're okay with that. So we've, we've been exploring this theme of doing and not doing, and it has surprising interest, depth, and I would say contemporary relevance for our practice. It actually is a surprising, uh, what, uh, mm, surprising tool to take us further uh, into our practice, take us pretty deeply into our practice. And so what I want to do today is to review briefly some of what we've covered about the nature of doing in our practice, the nature of not doing in our practice, uh, some ways to investigate our identities as doers, which is prominent for many of us, then also look into this theme uh, that comes both in um, looking more deeply at ordinary experience and also comes from another uh, a number of spiritual traditions of a kind of doing which comes out of a profound and deep not doing. And uh, I'll look at that particularly as it manifests again in the Taoist and Buddhist tradition. And then I'll take us a little bit further to give a kind of systematic way of practicing which takes us into that deeper place. And I would say that all of our practice aims to go to that deeper place. All of the doing and not doing aims to 
open up to that uh, deeper place. So that's what I'll bring out, and then we'll explore that in guided meditation, and then uh, we can talk together. So again, briefly to go over what we've covered, clearly doing in many, many dimensions of our lives is crucial. How many of you have to-do lists? How many of you have a to-do list that says, I should develop a to-do list? <laughs> okay. Or I should have a better to-do list. I don't, anyway, it's, uh, I think it's good to be humorous because it's, it's, uh, it's quite intense for a lot of us. I often joke that many of us would rather complete our to-do list than reach awakening. For how many is that true? <laughs> You're honest. <laughs> okay. So, um, but clearly, doing is crucial. Doing is vital in meditation, in daily life. Uh, I've mentioned how, for the Buddha, tremendous emphasis on the importance of skillful effort, doing one's practice, bringing in skillful intention, moment by moment, asking how can I be aware, how can I have uh, a skillful way of responding to the present moment. I mention often the uh, very brief teaching by, I, I believe, a 10th century Zen teacher from China who was asked, what's the essence of all the teachings of all the generations of the te great teachers? And his answer was appropriate response, skillful response. We could say a skillful doing often in relation to to what's arisen, skillful intention, skillful ethical action, and so forth. So doing is crucial to uh, bring mindfulness, wisdom, compassion more and more to every moment. Often involves doing, intention, remembering, uh, practice in our meditation. The Quality of doing is central to, as we saw in our guided meditation, to settle, to be less distracted, to come back to the primary focus, to notice what's happening, to label. Those are all manifestations of doing which are crucial. And clearly doing is also very vital in our daily lives, in our relational lives, in our social lives, to... Uh, act ethically, uh, to respond to problems, to respond to injustice. All of these involve different kinds of doing. And there's, of course, a lot more we could say about skillful action. You know, and in the past, we've sometimes looked at that, at looking at the ethical guidelines, looking at what is skillful action. So clearly crucial. And for many of us, needing a lot of attention. I think for all of us, needing significant attention. And for some of us, that dimension of skillful effort, of uh, doing in our practice, is one that uh, is crucial and one that we need to give more attention to. And yet also, non-doing is also crucial, as we've seen and I've emphasized non-doing non in meditation or not doing in meditation, particularly by pointing to the places where we are both letting go on the one hand and being receptive on the other. 
that we need in our meditations often to let go of a certain amount of doing, particularly as it manifests in thinking. We let go of thinking. Sometimes we let go of negative narratives. We, we let go of stories that are completely taking us over. We let go of reactivity. We, we don't further engage in those ways. And, and that could be said to be a kind of, non, of not doing or non-doing. And then there's also the dimension of receptivity, which we explored in the guided meditation, of not so much trying to control experience, but letting experience come to one, letting pleasant experiences or neutral experiences, sounds, body sensations be there. Where this is more challenging, of course, is where there are difficult experiences, where maybe there's um, anger, if that's difficult for you, or unpleasant body sensations. Can I also be receptive with the difficult experiences in my meditation practice first and then later in my daily life? Can I be receptive and just be with the energy of anger? Sometimes the fire in the body. Uh, Watch the narratives come and go. Watch the emotional energy come and go. Can I be receptive with the unpleasant sensations in my body? So very, very crucial to bring in that dimension as well. And again, this can be if we were, you know, if we were doing a six-month curriculum on the material from these talks, we might devote the first month or two just to what I've mentioned in the last 10 minutes. That could be a wonderful focus, really, to have our doing, our skillful action, our effort be, um, as it were, more developed and to practice these different dimensions of not doing. And then there's also the insight that many of us have a very highly developed sense of being a doer. You know, that there can be an identity of a doer. And again, some of this is cultural, that uh, often when we meet someone, we might ask that person, what do you do? You know, we don't ask the person, how do you be? (laughs) If that's, I don't know if that's fully grammatical, but, um, or how are you? We we ask them, how are you? Uh, And that's, in a sense, asking for something, but we, you know, you know, how are you being? Not a typical question, but I think in some cultures, uh, something like that might be asked when, when, uh, when there's a greeting between people. And so there's, there's a, also a very important dimension of our practice to look more carefully at the nature of the doer. And I think we can see when we look at doing more carefully we can see that it's bound up very often with a sense of self. It can also be bound up with a sense of time. I am doing this now, so I will get it done and be able to get to the future. Right? I can have a kind of instrumental relationship with my doing, so I'm doing it so I get somewhere else, or so something is accomplished and might make it very hard for me actually to be in the present moment. You know, I want to get this work done so I can relax later. I want to finish my week of work so I can get to the weekend. 
And so I'm very much, uh, in a sense, uh, as we say, almost like falling forward into the future. So there's a tremendous amount to be seen when we investigate our doing. And this was also encouraged as, a, as an important dimension of practice, to look into that, that identity of the doer, look into the sense of time, look into the sense of self. And that can be particularly noticed when maybe we get nervous that I'm, I'm not doing anything. I should be doing something. I'm just sitting being receptive. I should be doing something in my meditation. I mentioned that some of my reflections on this whole series of talks came out of retreat in February where I was noticing what I called a kind of limiting belief. I need to continually do something in meditation or it won't be productive, right? So something to be looked at that we often, I think, again, a lot of it is cultural we have almost like a, sometimes a bias against just being. We need to be doing something. And so it's something to look at. And again, I'm all the time recognizing the importance of doing, but we can also, as it were, take it too far. Then I also have pointed to how there can be a, a kind of doing that comes out of non-doing. And maybe, maybe I should mention before that uh, some things I haven't mentioned, that part of really practicing with doing and not doing is to bring what I've mostly focused on in terms of formal meditation also into our daily lives. Can I be present? Can I be mindful in my daily life? Can I choose certain activities. Maybe every time I walk, I try to do walking meditation, or I do the dishes. And can I bring that sense of presence and awareness into my daily flow more? That involves a certain kind of doing. And yet it also can be, can involve a kind of receptivity. Can I take a walk and just be, when I'm present enough, and again, often it takes that effort to settle to be present, then can I open up and just let the sights and sounds and different experiences be there? Can I be receptive? Can I be receptive with washing the dishes or in some ways, uh, you know, cleaning up around the house? Can I bring that quality uh, of meditative doing also into my daily life? Can I see particularly where it's a little bit easier for me to be present in my doing. You can almost have a, uh, uh, what, what I call like a hierarchy of activities. What are the easier ones in which to be aware? What are the harder ones? For most of us being at the computer may be the hardest. Maybe taking a walk or doing a physical activity can be easier. You know, for me, teaching a lot on why speech, uh, talking and speaking is easier for me than it was uh, 20 years ago, right? So I wanted to add that piece that we can, uh, we can also bring this into daily life. And then there's this quality that I'll focus on for the rest of the time, and we'll explore also in the guided practice, 
of what I'm calling a doing coming out of a deep non-doing. That's a little awkward to say it like that, uh, but maybe not. Maybe maybe it has a good ring for you. I don't know. Uh, but we can see this, and I, I, I want to mention two different contexts where we see this. One is how we can see this in terms of daily life and daily flow. And I mentioned last time two different contexts. One of them is when we have what are sometimes called flow experiences. Flow is that concept developed by the uh, psychologist uh, Chiksen Mahalaji, uh, who talks about flow as when we're fully immersed in activity, often without any self-consciousness or time. So you can notice some of the characteristics of ordinary doing, like a sense of self, a sense of often self-consciousness, a sense of time, are absent often in the flow experience or absent to a large degree. We're fully immersed. We may be... Uh, we may have a sense of great enjoyment, focus, absorption, right? And we saw that all of us have had those kind of experiences. Very interesting. And we look particularly at how that might manifest in uh, experiences like uh, art, creativity uh, of different kinds, music. Uh, could, happens often in sports where it's called... Uh, being in the zone, uh, and could also occur in all the other parts of our lives. Uh, you know, I, I have a quote from, uh, you know, from Picasso. Picasso said that when you're in this place uh, of creativity, he said, art washes away from the soul the dust of everyday life. Art washes away from the soul, the dust of everyday life. He said also, and, and, and this, this will actually relate very closely to what comes up in the Taoist tradition and the Buddhist tradition. He said, to draw, you must close your eyes and sing. It takes a very long time to become young. And so we, we, we can see that there's, we'll come back to that, there's that notion of being, uh, uh, being like a child, but not a child, you know, that we find also in many religious traditions. And this can even be the basis for social action. This is, a, this is from the poet and activist Gary Snyder. We have to act both as if our hearts or on fire, the situation is urgent, and also as if we have all the time in the world. Do you hear that balance of kind of related to the theme we've been talking about? There's a doing, but there's also a kind of not doing. Mature action comes from following this, knowing that nothing need be done is where we begun, begin to move from. So it's paradoxical. There's a doing and a not doing. So sometimes when people explore this, they use paradoxical language. This is from the Zen teacher Suzuki Roshi. You could say this is guidance for social action. Things are perfect as they are. 
they could also use some improvement. Can, can sit with that for a while, right? And so we also saw that I referred to the research of uh, Hubert and Stuart Dreyfus, who did research on experts in a variety of fields. And he said that when you're really at the top of a particular field, whether it's computer programming or gardening or um, you know, meditating, that there is a way in which your one is completely absorbed and in something very much like that flow experience. Yeah, that often decisions are made deeply intuitively. Uh, there's a full absorption. There may not be a sense of time. And this is characteristic of uh, someone who is a so-called expert. And then there's the way that this gets uh, explored in spiritual traditions, which I've mentioned. The the sense, uh, I, and again, I'll, I'll look briefly to these two traditions I've looked at, the Taoist tradition and Buddhist tradition. But, but I mentioned last time, you can find it in different traditions, in the, you know, you must be like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? There, and you look to other sayings of Jesus, and you find very common themes. I looked at some of that last time, how he says, I don't do anything. You know, when you're in the deepest place, there's a kind of personal non-doing, and one lets, be, lets oneself be carried by, in his language, the almost like the energy of the divine. And you can find something similar in multiple traditions, in Jewish tradition and I think in Islamic tradition as well. In the Taoist tradition, uh, the concept of a, a kind of doing that comes out of not doing is maybe more developed than any other tradition. And there it's understood as wu-wei, which is usually translated as non-action or non-exertion. And I, I think I'll just read again a few passages, some of them are uh, ones that are new. So, you know, kind of the overview goes like this. The non-action of the wise person is not inaction. So he's trying to talk, this is talking about Wu Wei. Joy does all things without concern, for emptiness, stillness, tranquility, silence, and non-action are the root of all things. So basically saying, as we'll find in the uh, quotes from the Buddhist tradition, that this deep non-doing gets at the deeper nature of our being and of being in general. It gets at the sacred, in other words. It's very, very interesting. That's certainly very clear with the uh, Taoist tradition. So maybe I'll read some that I haven't read before. And these are all from the book, The Way of Chuang Tzu, by Tom, uh, really translations by Thomas Merton, a beautiful uh, collection. And I mentioned the, I think I read two times ago, his translation of the, a passage about the woodcarver who takes before the woodcarver is to carve a, uh, a bell stand, the woodcarver takes a week in preparation to get to that place of full non-doing, of that wu-wei, of that non-action. And in that place, 
is able to carve something in a different way and such that others in his community say it's as if the bell stand was made by spirits. But he says, no, it's about non, a kind of deep non-action that leads there. There's another passage. This is, called, this is from a, a text uh, called King's Disciple. And again, the, the mentions the child. The child is free from care, unaware of self, acts without reflection, stays where one is put, does not know why, does not try to figure things out. These are the first elements. The disciple asks, is this perfection? Lao Tzu replies, not at all. It is only the beginning. This melts the ice. This enables you to unlearn so that you can be led by the Tao, led by the sacred. Be a child of Tao. If you persist in trying to attain what is never attained, so you're trying to get to, in a way, the sacred, but you don't get there by trying. You don't get there ultimately by doing. Rather, he said, it is Tao's gift. If you persist in making effort to obtain what effort cannot get, if you persist in reasoning about what cannot be understood, you will be destroyed. <laughs> so, to know when you can get no further by your own action, this is the right beginning. Interesting. Wow. That's from over 2,000 years ago. And then lastly, just a few passages. The, another book I've been drawing from is a book from the 14th century by the Tibetan teacher Long Chenpa. It's called, it's, this is one of the most amazing books in the history of books. It's called A Treasure Trove of Scriptural Transmission by Long Chenpa. And amazing book. He was like a total spiritual genius, one of the two or three greatest geniuses in the history of Tibetan tradition. And so a few passages from, from his work um, that I think I've mentioned. Awakened mind is by nature primordially pure. There is nothing to discard or adopt, nothing to achieve by trying. So he's saying the deepest state of our being is not something that is made or done or accomplished. Although he'll readily say along the way, there's a lot of valuable doing, but the deeper place is not. Let your mind and body relax deeply in a carefree state with an easygoing attitude, like a person who has nothing to do. This deep awareness, which is not cultivated in meditation, if you meditate again and again, you will see that there is nothing to cultivate in meditation. He's saying really to get to the deeper place. Nothing to cultivate in meditation. This is the meditation of omnipresent awareness. And so I would say, this is my finding, that all of our practice goes in this direction. 
goes towards this deeper awareness, which we could talk about in a variety of ways. One way that I'm using here is to say that it is a kind of doing which comes out of a deep non-doing. And there are many other ways of talking about it, you know. Uh, so I would claim that, that the teachings in all of these spiritual traditions goes in this direction. So it's very valuable to have a sense of the, as it were, the horizon of practice. You know, this is where we could say that being mindful is very, very helpful, but it's not the end goal. It's not the most mature place. Mindfulness is a very valuable tool and it involves a certain amount of doing, but it it takes us a certain uh, length of the path. But the ultimate path is going towards this deep, this deeper quality. And so I'm going to talk, talk briefly right now for the rest of the talk time, then we'll go to a guided meditation, about a kind of sequence of practice which we've been exploring, which takes us into this deeper place. And there's no, I should say also, there's no rush. Okay. And one can't really, rushing actually is counterproductive. But it can be helpful to have a sense of the map. Uh, of the direction of practice, as the great one of the great meditators of the 20th century, uh, Yogi Berra, said. People know the work of Yogi Berra. He was a um, baseball player, uh, a catcher for the New York Yankees, who happened to be named Yogi. Yogi Berra said, "If you don't know where you're going, you may not get there." Okay, I, I should just, we should just pause for a moment after that one. Right? So if you don't know where you're, so, so a map can be valuable. A map can be valuable. So part of what we'll see with this map is that this whole sequence, which we can do in meditation and in daily life, of moving, uh, first developing our doing, developing also our receptivity, seeing where the, where the doing is linked with a kind of kind of a more rigid identity of a doer, really seeing that clearly. And all of this can take, you know, uh, can take months. Again, if we were doing a six-month curriculum, we would do a month or two on these first stages. If we were doing a 10-year curriculum, you know, if you were just beginning, we could take... Uh, you know, we could take three years on these first steps. So again, there's not, not a rush. But what we'll see is that we actually work through many of the structures of ordinary experience. We work through our sense of self. We work, we work through and let go of compulsive thinking. We let go where we develop the ability, the ability to let go of our will. We open up to a kind of choiceless awareness. We can go beyond the ordinary sense of time, the sense of separate self, and also the very key ordinary construction of self and other, of being different, separate from others, and a structure of knowing in which we have a knower and a known, kind of a basic duality of consciousness. 
And this sequence of training grounds us first in the skillful doing, the skillful receptivity. And then as we explored last time, as we'll explore in a moment, we also can uh, actually progressively deconstruct the ordinary constructions of experience. And this takes us into the depths of our being. At first, we just get glimpses, which is important. We get a five-second glimpse of this, and that may be what's primary. We, and we have, and that may be the way it is for a year, two years, three years. We get more and more five-second glimpses. And increasingly, it stabilizes and gets to be there more and more of the time. That's kind of how it works. So, again, not a rush. And so... So there's, there's this sequence which we do in meditation and in daily life where we explore this opening to uh, this kind of non-doing to, we, again, we maybe first do it in meditation. We, get, we have it get more accessible in meditation. Then we start bringing it out more and more into uh, daily life. And that, that can take, take a, a good amount of time. Okay? So there's a lot there. Maybe one last thing to say is, uh, one last thing to say is that in this model, the basic nature of our being is something like this deep non-doing. And in so many traditions, it's described as at rest, nothing to do, often connected with uh, this large, vast awareness. Nothing to do, no separate sense of self, no division of self and other, self and object. And others would describe it as like a child in certain ways, or that actually being a child helps you get there. And so described in different ways, and also that it's actually the most fundamental nature of our being and that our construction of time and self and all the other things we have in daily life is actually derivative. It's a kind of construction. This most basic quality of non-doing is actually who we most deeply are, but we lose sight of it. And we've lost sight of it for most of us, for most of our lives. But we have, we have glimpses. So that's, again, so let's uh, go into a, a short guided practice now, maybe for about 15 minutes, to explore some of this. Because I think the talking, again, is the map that uh, Yogi Berra was talking about. Uh, we give a map, but it's also helpful to have some taste of this in experience. So if you need to stand up or... Just stretch for 15, 20 seconds. Do that now. And then find a comfortable position. We'll, we'll, the sitting will be about just about 15 minutes for a little bit more. Then we'll have some chance to talk together. So we'll go through quickly the three instructions that were there in the earlier guided practice. First, settle. 
can go back to your breath or whatever is the primary object. Stay with it. And see if you can settle, be less distracted. Here we're bringing in the quality of doing. And now also bring in that quality of noticing what's happening, being receptive if something lasts for a while, noticing thinking, body sensations become predominant, noticing them. That combination of doing more active effort and more receptive effort. Now we'll go into what we explored in the earlier sitting, what I was calling choiceless awareness. You can use that image of sitting with the river in front of you, just watching whatever comes down the river, the river of your own experience, watching what's there moment to moment, letting go of the anchor for many of the breath, some other object for others, letting go of that, we still have a kind of doing where we're trying to notice whatever is predominant. So we might be labeling, we're tracking, we're noticing. There's some doing, but we've let go of will here in the sense of uh, choosing the object. We just focus on whatever is present. And we'll stay with this for a few minutes.
Just sitting back and watching the flow of experience. Nothing to do other than to watch. If you get distracted, just come back to watching the flow moment by moment. And now see if you can stay watching the flow, but let go of any conceptualization about what is occurring. You're noticing what's there. And see if you can do that without conceptualizing what's there. So if you're experiencing body sensations or sounds, see if you can just experience those almost on the level of raw sense data before there's conceptualization. So we're still noticing whatever is happening, whatever is occurring. There's a kind of structure of knower and known. But we're letting it come by itself and we're not conceptualizing. But there's still the tracking, there's still the noticing. We'll stay with this for a little while longer.
Now let me invite you to stay with that flow of experience. Stay aware, stay present, but let go of the noticing and the tracking in which you're separate. Let go of the effort to notice while still staying aware and present. And it may help to just say, okay, let me clap, let go of the noticing, let go of the tracking, but still stay present. So we're still present, non-distracted as much as possible, but we're not trying to, we're not trying to be aware of anything. We're just aware. Another way to invite this is to invite you, when I clap, to let go of everything but remain aware and non-distracted. Let go of all effort, all thinking, let go of everything and just be present and just be present. One, two, three, let go. We'll do that one more time. I'll clap, inviting, letting go of everything, all effort, all doing, all conceptualizing, yet be present and aware. One, two, three, let go. We'll do one further practice where we bring this into a kind of doing. So again, I'll clap, invite the letting go. And then just a little bit after I invite that, I'll invite you to move your arm in a circle and see if you can have the doing come out of this restful place. Okay.
And I'll give the instructions. So in a moment, I'll clap and invite letting go and just being aware, present, non-distracted as much as possible. And then I'll give the other instructions just a little while later. One, two, three, let go. And from the sense of presence, move your hand in a circle. See if you can have your doing come out of being present, out of a kind of deep non-doing. Explore that. And come, come back to being present. If you had some moments of being present without much else happening, was there a sense of time there? Did you, in a way, move out of ordinary time? Did you move out of an ordinary sense of self? Let's come back and just be present in whatever way, maybe in a more ordinary way, just be present to yourself. It helps to be with the breath or primary focus to come back in a moment. I'll, I'll ring the bell and we'll have a chance to talk together. Reflect on some of what you might have noticed in your experience, any insights, learning, anything you want to share, anything you want to ask about. Just reflect for now for a minute or two on what you might have experienced in the guided meditation along with anything maybe that arose from the, uh, from the talk which was really trying to give a little bit of a map for what we just explored. So take a minute or two now to reflect.
So thanks everyone. I'm I'm interested in uh, what you might have experienced, or in any questions about the talk, or any any sharing of what was there. So you can again go to uh, best ways right now is the raised hand function, and I see uh, Victoria. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I, well, I, first, a, a, um, a, a sensation, which was that the, I was very glad, last week I was very frustrated. I, I think, if you recall, I told you that when you clapped, I held my breath, and so it was kind of counterproductive. Um, and today, it, it really, um, it really worked, and I think what helped was that when I'd been reflecting about the whole, that whole practice during the week, it occurred to me that part of what takes one out of pure awareness is judgment. Mm-hmm. So like, so like attaching some kind of judgment to, to the non-doing itself. So mm-hmm. the kind of, um, that's a kind of doing, but I have a question too about the talk. Um, the becoming as a child, uh, for me, the, the, sort of conundrum of that or the paradox is that um and having raised a child i know it from experience that children that's sort of the first big step that they take like around the so-called terrible twos this sense of individuation of self and the whole this whole sort of separate self thing it, it comes in at such an early age it seems like it's even I guess it's conditioned by our culture, but but it's it comes in so early that I was wondering how, you know, where where do we tap into that sense of the child because it's it's prior to any consciousness. Do you know what I mean? It's it's sure. hard for me to articulate. No, it's a it's a clear question, an important question. Um, that's why I think in my language I actually didn't say as a child, but like a child, mm. and and it's really seeing that there's a difference. Um, some of you may know the work of Ken Wilber, uh, the psychologist. He wrote a, a long essay on what he called the pre-trans fallacy, because he noticed that there are a lot of people in psychological and spiritual settings who talked about becoming as a child. And he wanted to distinguish between ways in which, uh, as in many spiritual traditions, one regains some of the qualities of a child, but one is not as a child. One is like a child. So there, you know, one develops the ability maybe to be more spontaneous or to be, have a fresh mind or be creative or uh, be able to play and not think of you know, be like the lilies of the field or, and so forth. So I think that there, that, you know, his essay really gives a number of different uh, ways that we can make that distinction. But there is a way in which, uh, as it were, when an adult goes into deeper spiritual development, there are certain qualities which have some kind of resemblance to a child, but they're not the same. Mm-hmm. And we can identify, you know, some of the, you know, as in some of what I just said, some of the qualities, you know, that we can, we could play, be spontaneous, not be so caught in time, not have such such of a rigid sense of self. Well, these are all 
qualities that children have at their best. And we can see some of that coming on, you know, sometimes see, oh my gosh, four years old, already a rigid sense of self, my God, ah. <laughs> right? And uh, so that, does it, that gets at it, right, Victoria? Yeah, so um, would it, do you think it would be fair to say it's, it's tapping into this, like the concept that Wordsworth brought out in the Odin Intimations of Immortality, that the child is father of the man, um, this sense of a kind of like a primordial wisdom that precedes our development as human beings? It's a kind of like the ur <laughs> wisdom or whatever. Yeah, yeah, let me be brief here to make, to make room for yeah, sorry. other yeah. people as well, but um, uh, yeah. I think the answer would be yes, that that, that poem, what's it, Ode to Intimations? intimations of immortality in, and Reflections. Intimations of Immortality from Wordsworth from like the beginning of the 19th century, a beautiful poem, which gets, gets at this, yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Francesca, am I pronouncing your name right? Uh, yes, you are. Sorry, I just couldn't get off mute there. Yeah, it's Francesca. Okay. Um, thank you so much for the talk. Um, one of the reflections that came up for me was when you asked us to move our arm, our hand. Oh, yeah. And, I, and it sort of took me, I was really exploring this doing versus non-doing, and it brought me so immediately back back to the doing yeah and my reflection was that that it's it seems like doing is connected to will in some way yeah and 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 that you had invited us to activate our will mm -hmm. which then led me to think that that was doing yeah and i didn't i could not i had a really hard time sort of doing or activating my will from a place of non-doing if that makes sense no or from a yeah, wonderful, wonderful uh, noticing and question. Yeah, it seems to uh, that doing has many aspects that we've been exploring. I was I mentioned the structures of self and time and all sorts of things, but intention, her will, is part of it, right? Typically, not not always, maybe, but here there has to be some intention that gets the arm moving, and so. Maybe it kind of helps me refine the uh, exercise. Maybe next time I would say something like, let the intention, notice the intention, but let it be light or something in your awareness. Because what I, what I was aiming at was to try to get a sense of a, of a doing which came out of a deeper non-doing. And I think, some, I think what you're pointing to is that maybe some further guidance on that could be helpful. So that we don't, but I, because I think you're noticing, oh, I've got, because there is going to be some doing and it's not like it's all the aspects of doing are gone, but hopefully some of the main ones are. So it's actually, there's a, <clears throat> there's a form of Tibetan practice called mixing practice, which is in the uh, bone tradition of Tibetan Buddhism, in which you, the, in, in which they don't use the language of doing and not doing, but one gets into a state of awakened awareness, of deep awareness. And then the invitation is when that's fairly stable, then they invite you to do, engage in activities of body and then speech and then mind. And it's, it's kind of fascinating uh, exercise because they also invite you to do uh, skillful 
neutral and unskillful activities in each of those. So, you know, you would stabilize an awakened awareness and then, uh, you know, skillful in their model would be prostrations. Neutral might be just walking around. And unskillful would be, you know, like hitting someone. <laughs> so you actually, they invite you to do that from the place of this deep non-doing. So, uh, so I've, I've been inspired by that. Because the model is basically stabilize in some kind of awareness first and then bring, bring let the doing come. You know, I, I did it briefly because we didn't have much time. We could take a whole hour just on that exercise. So thank you for that. Thank you. That's helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Other other questions or just sharing of what you experienced? Yeah, maybe if it's helpful if if you, uh looks like Rosie, I see. Yeah. And maybe Tolan you can look for hands up elsewhere. Yeah. Well, I um, sort of went into the non-doing early, earlier before you said move. I just started moving. Um, yeah. But you know, I really it felt really good. The the body just my body just really wanted to move in a unstructured sort of. Um, way and so I thought well I'm going to let go of my thoughts that I'm supposed to sit here and <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm just gonna you know do um and so I was already moving and um it felt just delicious you know it just felt um that I had dropped in out of time you know into just a you know very organic so um I really enjoyed enjoyed that. And yeah, thank, I, yeah. When you said you can move. I thought, okay, good. I can, you know. <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah. So, so again, the the principle is uh, to be somewhat established in um, you know this non doing mode of awareness, whatever we call it, awakened awareness. Be uh, be somewhat stable in that, and then let movement occur. And it's very interesting, you know, so the movement may be, you know, depends on the level of stability, but it may be there without much sense of time or, uh, or self. And it sounds like that was what you were experiencing and just the, almost like the joy of that in, yeah. in the moment. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Rosie. It looks like Rich, please. Um, yes, thank you. Um, there's one thing that happened with the kind of the being in that place of just complete non doing. This some of the thoughts came of, Oh my god, I have all these things to do. How can I be <laughs> like not doing? Yeah, and the sense of overwhelm with there's too many things and not enough time. And that reminded me of something that kind of came up last time that I've noticed since last time that I wanted to ask you about the sense of the doer and when you're in that space of unstructured time 
like, okay, now there's nothing I have to do and I'm alone. So there's no one I'm interacting with and I have this unstructured time and there's things I feel like I should do and going into this anxiety place. Yeah. Oh my God. There's nothing I have to do. There's no plan. There's all this unstructured time and then the anxiety comes. I'm wondering if you have any guidance around that. Yeah. Thank you, Rich. Um, how many can relate to that question? I think a lot of people. Uh, first of all, know that it's long-term. It's a long-term exploration that the conditioning is very thick and it's been around for a long time and it's supported by the society to a large extent. And so have some patience, even some compassion with it. Um, and there's also, I think, a, a way in which uh, you could take the guided meditation as something like a developmental map. In other words, here are the practices to do initially, then do these practices, and then you get, you know, I took us through fairly quickly to get to a, what for some of us was a deeper place. But in terms of, uh, in terms of, just that situation you're describing, or the many things you're describing, I think I think I would use just some of the practices. Uh, just investigate the doer, take notes on these kind of experiences. We have to we have to look at it a lot, fairly carefully. Uh, see if you can, when you're in a doing mode, see if you can bring further relaxation and receptivity to it. Right, so it's maybe not so, because for a lot of us, it's like there's almost like a, a doer who can be even controlling, who wants to get this done, get this done, have the list. And so you can explore in a variety of ways. One is to see if you can bring aspects of non-doing into your doing. And I think one way to explore this well is to, is to bring that into your meditation, you know, to have to follow some of that guidance in the, especially in the first guided meditation before the talk, and explore these themes in meditation and then bring them out into your daily flow some. You know, just let me relax, open up. So what I'm suggesting is that the, you know, the what we've been covering here really describes a pretty full curriculum you know, with these different dimensions. Uh, explore, investigate the nature of the doer, notice these moments where anxiety arises, uh, practice in various ways with the doing, bring in the more the receptivity, uh, when, when, uh, and then um, explore um, maybe in the moments when there's quote-unquote nothing to do, see if you can explore just being, notice the anxiety, if it gets to be strong, bring in your meditation and study it. You know, you may be able to find what's driving it. Could be, uh, I mean, it's very interesting, not always easy material, but very interesting. And probably intellectually, you can have a sense of what's driving it, right? Intellectually, okay, it's probably like what I was calling one of my limiting beliefs, I have to be doing something all the time, right? Something like that, or I'm not, in a, goes back to childhood conditioning, typically. And is that what you mean by explore the nature of the doer? That was what I was trying to figure out. How do I go about that? Yeah, there are a variety of ways. Uh, I think either last time or the time before, I mentioned six or seven different ways to explore it. 
And so just to, one of them is just to notice these moments when we get nervous about not doing, and study those. Uh, kind of, you know, when you're compiling your to-do list, step back and be mindful. What's it like? What's the experience like? What's my body like? Is there tension? Uh, something like that. Notice if there's some kind of underlying narrative or belief, like I have to keep doing things, there's too much to do. Or, and again, and, and be patient, because this is very, very deep conditioning. It's shared by a large percentage of the population, and it takes time, because this deep conditioning is very much bound up with a sense of self, sense of time, so it goes pretty deeply. And yet it can be like a pivot to, uh, for transformation as well. That's, interest, that's the interesting aspect of it. Thank you. Thank you. And, and that, that's scratching the surface. Okay. Was there anyone else before we, anything in the chat, uh, Tolan? Uh, no, just um, people saying thank you for the practice. Oh, well, well thank you. And um, I don't know if I should ask you whether you want to keep on going with this topic. I thought that I was on my last one today, but uh, but I will. How many would like to keep going with this topic? Okay, okay. How many are content to move on to another topic? And I think I come back in two or three weeks. So, so very few people are content with me moving to another topic. Okay, I'll I'll reflect on this. Someone says, keep going. <laughs> okay. Are you okay if I repeat myself? You have to say yes. So, are you okay if I don't do anything new or very much new? Okay, I'm seeing some nods. Okay. Um, great. Um, okay, let's close with two things. One is just to... Uh, three things. First, thank Toland again. You can say hi to everyone. Thank you, Toland, for all your support and great skill. Uh, you're probably in the non-doing mode often because you're a master in this area or <laughs> an expert. Okay. Who knows? Uh, there, there you go. Okay. And then secondly, just to reflect on... Um, how will you take this further? If you want to take this theme further, I think I come back in, today is the 21st, I think I come back in three weeks, so not for a while. I think it's Heidi next week and then Sylvia, if I remember right. So how will you take this further in your meditation and daily life? Take a little while to reflect, and again, we have the uh, guided meditations are being recorded and will be on Dharma Seed, so you could actually work with those uh, if you want to every day. Take, take uh, a minute or so to reflect on what comes next for you.
And then we'll close with a dedication of merit. May our time together be fruitful for us. Be a benefit for us. Be fruitful and a benefit for those in our own circles, people we're connected with, close to. And then we offer also the benefits out beyond those circles, ultimately to all beings. May our practice and our time together be a benefit for all beings, knowing that we are part of all beings. So thanks everyone and uh, a pleasure to explore this territory with you. Um, and I'm learning a lot and until next time, we'll do our, you can stay on if you want, unmute and say hi. Feel free to do that. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, Tolan. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to keep on doing this, a new dance. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Until next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.